challenge for anyone back there. going on welcome uh to uh uh another podcast um, i'm doing this early in the morning i couldn't sleep i was doing a write-up you know i figure if i'm gonna do like kind of reviews i might as well just you know do some type of write-up at least um there's just so much to listen to and so much to dissect and so much to catch up with so i just thought i mean this could end up just being a failure but you know but uh people have been enjoying it uh, from the the five people that probably hear this podcast. Um, I want to give my overall thoughts on Mania Night 2, but I want to say that, you know, uh, props to the, you know, the crew um, and the wrestlers who, you know, went out of their way to do this. I don't know if they were, like, you know, put in this position to have to do it. I don't know if we'll find out, but, you know, I mean, they're, like, probably the only, you know, so, you know um, sports-related, you know, uh, company right now that's doing something right now so i want to give them props for at least putting effort in even if it wasn't the heart uh, you know even if it wasn't like you know what they'd hoped for what they you know what they wanted from like you know the crowd reactions because i thought they did some good fan service in the two nights of wrestlemania maybe some of the results you could argue are not the fucking greatest or not but you know i thought they did you know pretty good for that, for that reason, but you know, it it was lackluster because of no crowd, obviously. And I mean, not you know, due to like you know, like circumstances beyond their control, essentially. You know what I mean? So I want to give my overall thoughts. Um, overall thoughts. This is the, it was not as good as the first night. It felt like the first night went a lot smoother with, with what they had. And not to say anything was super horrible in night two, but the results I liked a bit better. Like, I liked the results for night two better, but it just it, it just didn't come across as well, as smooth as, like, the first night. You know what I mean? I, I did enjoy having two nights of Mania, though, and, and they were just, like, you know, three and a half hours, which, which is still pretty lengthy, but I feel like with a lot of the results... They did some good fan service, as I said before, for the most part. And it's a shame that there's a pandemic going on because having the live crowd fans would have ate a lot of it up. 
especially the man Mandy and Otis payoff, you could have extended it. But chances are wrestling fans will become fickle and decide they don't care by the time there is a live crowd again. And despite what WWE is advertising with Money in the Bank and me, I don't think there will be a live gathering anytime soon. You know, unless WWE is filming shit this week, and I and I can see them filming enough until the next pay per view. But I still don't know though. So let me open up with uh, the kickoff match. They had to have a kickoff match, obviously. It was only one per night, I guess. It was pretty simple. I mean, Liv Morgan beat Natty. It wasn't like I, I wasn't really. I, I was still doing my other podcast while it was going on, so I didn't really catch it. So I saw like a little bit of it. Liv, you know, you mean Liv Morgan won, and her and her stands act like this is the greatest achievement. Not not that I have a problem with Liv, but I always notice on social media, it has these really diehard fans that are ready to scrap for them at any cost. Like the, like like the social media storyline taking place was that the fans of Scarlett Bordeaux, uh, you know, former TNA alum, uh, uh, wife of Killer Cross, were calling out Liv for wearing her gear, the, the, you know, like the leather black outfit. You know what I mean? Because you know, obviously Scarlett was like the first one to ever wear anything that resembles that. But then Killer Cross got involved by asking, you know, one of the accounts good question, you know, to the account, and that's probably, like, you know, Scarlett Bordeaux's fucking burner account, we'll probably find out, and then Nia Jax got involved, and you know what I mean, so then you wonder, what the, what does this all mean, is this supposed to be something seen as real, and someone will get fired over this, are they just planting seeds and making this feud kind of real, and it'll be for the internet fans to buy up when something happens on the air. It just seems like so random out of everything that's happened, and then I see a bunch of smart marks getting worked up, and you know it drives me it drives me wild because it's easier to fool these fans than to tell them that they're being fooled. But then I wonder at the, at the end of all of this, am I, uh, are if like if there are, if these people are getting all mad, are they like the online sports entertainers, like employed fanboys? So maybe them. So like maybe in the end of all this, they're working me, and I'm the one who, and I'm the one who's refusing to be worked. Like I don't fucking know. But that was basically it. I think the other thing that you know was like I noticed on Twitter a lot of people were shitting on Peter Rosenberg's hot takes, per usual, right? Like they're shitting on his hot hot takes, and then I just I just realized you know. Um, that, that and and, th- and this is where I decided that even with all the hip hop and wrestling crossover we've seen in the past, I, I don't think anything has been more evident than when people are shitting on Rosenberg's hot takes. That's probably like an even bigger crossover between hip hop and wrestling. And no disrespect to Rosenberg, but sometimes you know I think he plays that. I think he's like buying into the role of, of being a stooge, kind of in a way where he pretend, where he'll have something socially conscious to say, but then a lot of times he's seen as like a shill in a way, in some manner or whatever. That's basically what I took from like you know the the pre recorded. Uh, I don't know if they did the the, the pre show live. I, I think they. Uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if they pre recorded that too. Maybe they just did it from Stanford or something like that. I don't know. You know, and uh, and then we opened up with like the first match, which was you know uh, Charlotte versus uh, Rhea Ripley for the NXT Women's Champion. This was probably the best in ring match of the night from the technical standpoint. 
This is how much I don't know anything outside of wrestling because apparently Rio is wearing some Dragon Ball Z character. Is it Vegeta or Vegeta? Sorry for to all my Dragon Ball Z people out there. You know what I mean? I'm sorry I never really got into it. And you know what I mean? And I'm so outside of like anything outside of wrestling or hip hop that I just thought I I, I just thought uh you know I just thought uh. Uh, I just thought it was um, Rhea Ripley uh, doing honors for Blue Blazer or something. Like that. Oh, she's a Blue Blazer fan, so she's wearing like the Blue Blazer colors. Um, I, you know, uh, it, it, I, it was a well-paced match. I think Charlotte's underrated is an underrated shit talker when these matches are going on with no crowd. The match went back and forth. Charlotte, the story of the whole match was basically Charlotte was working over the knee for a good portion, from what I remember. Anytime Rhea, Rhea tried to seem to try and get momentum, um, it, will be the, it will be the knee that Charlotte went after. They go back and forth. Rhea has her in a cloverleaf, but Charlotte escapes. I mean, after a moonsault, Charlotte lands on her feet and goes for a spear after a failed cradle, which was the other thing. This match had a lot of, a lot of cradles. And then Charlotte eventually got the uh, figure eight and Rhea taps out after, you know, being put in there for a lengthy time. It wasn't like she, it wasn't, I don't think it was, I, I could be wrong. Someone could correct me. I don't think it was as quick as Asuka tapped out, in my personal opinion. I think she held out longer than Asuka. And I know people are going to shit on this. And, you know, I've been saying WWE does work. It's internet fans, even though the internet fans think they're smart smarter than the WWE with this shit, but it also adds to the fact that fans will end up being proven right officially. So, But even if that would be a storyline, because it, it has been made clear WWE has a fascination with Flair, even being part of anything, she loses a lot of times. And then, th then when she wins, people complain. So I'm hoping with her NXT, with her as NXT champ, she'll actually put people over and make them better. But to me, it could end up being bad because as WWE is dwindling, so there will be things that will end up working by design, and then in my opinion, there'll be other things not working by design. And I wonder if Rhea will then go the Oscar route of not recovering, and it'll be one of those stories where, well, she that it all started when she lost to Charlotte Flair. You know what I mean? It'll be an example of someone's career being derailed. And I, I thought Bianca would be another challenger, but after the result of another match, it seems like Bianca might be going to Raw. So I think Charlotte is a good heel to rile up smart fans, and people will use the, well, I heard WWE likes blonde and fake tits, so I have to hate her. And by the way, it's fair. it's a fair assumption to make, even if there are exceptions, you know, to the rules. But like, but it is fair to like, like you know. It, I mean, like it's, it's, it's fair. It's I don't know how to go. It is fair to criticize, and it's not to shame Charlotte. It's more about the system making people go their requirements to get more shine, women and men. And it turns out women are forced to get implants and dye their hair blonde. And I feel like when WWE, WWE shills try to gatekeep, they'll do it do it by kind of like by kind of protecting the system while neo you know, like in a neo, like a neoliberal fashion. They see they they shame fans for being sexist. 
You know what I mean? They shame fans for being sexist while they're protecting a sexist system. But like, so, you know what I mean? Because presented in, well, these girls want to do it. If they didn't, they would say something. Because, you know, in WWE produced documentary, they're saying, you know, because design is real life, they're saying, you know, oh, uh, you know, it's, you know, not, it's, Alexa Bliss really wanted to get butt implants or something like that. You know what I mean? Like, that's what fucking happens, essentially. But, you know, listen, I, you know, um, I, I, anyway, I, I just didn't mind the match. I didn't mind Charlotte winning. Does the NXT title count as a world title now? Does the men's count? I'm going to keep asking this question until you know, I, I get my answer to, 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 the, to the question. Does this mean Bo Dallas is considered a world champion if NXT is counting as a world champion? I, I, but I, listen, I like the match. I thought the match was really, really good. You could argue this. I can understand why people are upset. It's like it just seems like Charlotte's always in and like you know always being pushed, but she loses her titles frequently. So like I guess people can see the bigger picture in that she is winning these titles just to stack up title reigns, and then she'll lose them because her last couple of title reigns haven't really been like lengthy. I think the last one was like in like like October when she won it from Bailey, but then she lost it like. A couple of like five, I think five days later or something like that. You know what I mean? And she she's done that too when she beat Asuka. She lost it. Uh, she lost it that Tuesday to Carmella. You know. But overall, I I liked the match. I thought I thought it was it was a really good showing. Um, maybe they go back to Rhea Ripley and she put and she gets uh she puts gets put over by Charlotte, but I don't know. The next match was, uh, you know, um, Alistair Black and uh, and and Bobby Lashley. It was it was it was okay for a match that, that that literally had no build for it. It reminded me of like it remind, see the, when when you put these random matches like that, I get a little nostalgic because it, it reminded me of those old Mania matches where two mid carders would randomly face each other, and it felt like a spectacle because on regular television, named wrestlers did not face each other as often. So it would mostly be jobber matches. So like whenever like I, whenever like WrestleMania six, like Hercules, who's like who's like pretty credible as a mid carder against Earthquake, I was like, oh my god, I, I want to know who who's gonna win this match. In fact, I remember in WrestleMania six when uh, people were going buck the next day because of uh, Ultimate Warrior and Hogan, everyone was talking. And everyone in the lunchroom was going crazy during that time, right? And we had lunch with different other classes that would all go to a, a, a bigger classroom for lunch and all that back in the, like in the elementary school days. And I remember like people were talking about Ultimate Warrior and Hogan, and I, I kept I kept asking like randomly. And you know this is this is when I realized that nobody cares about like mid card or lower card guy. And I'm like, so yeah, who won between Hercules and uh, Earthquake? And what I think, who fucking cares about that? You know what I mean? Who who fucking cares, you know? So, so when they do these kind of matches, it meant something, right? I know now they give this match away like twenty times on a TV show, but lately you haven't really been seeing a lot of matches with this thing, so it did feel like kind of like a fresh match. I don't think I, I could be wrong. Has Bobby Lashley and Black fight each other before? Or no, I don't know. But 
but this match was not like that kind of, you know, it just, it just suplexes and counters and strikes. I think the main story with this was Lashley was going for another power slam, but Lana instructs him not to go, go for that and go for a spear where he ends up with his wig split by the black mass. So like, you know what I mean? So they're already teasing like something that shouldn't even happen to begin with. And I'm, ho I'm hoping this is leading to MVP showing up and getting him to let Lana go because he's not focused as he should be. I, I don't know where else it could go. Someone made a joke about on Twitter that said that, you know, Lashley being used to an empty arena stuff because he wrestled an impact. You know what I mean? Blah, blah, blah. Impact always going to be impact and ROH now are going to be the, the butt of the jokes for like lower, low, uh, you know, like low, low viewership or attendance and all that. It's, it's, it's going to be inevitable. I, th I think I've seen every variation of a, of a TNA joke. And uh, and and a ROH joke in the last year, you know ROH at least see. I mean TNA seems to be in better spirits, like from a storyline perspective. I mean ROH is getting back up there, I guess. But they had a dreadful 2019, man. You know what I mean? So I I, I like this match. You know what I mean? They gave Black a WrestleMania moment, and then here's the, the second best build up match that I. It's a dude. It's a shame that there's no. Uh, there was no crowd for this, you know what I mean? Like, I thought maybe if you had, I, I mean, listen, I, I was suggesting in different podcasts and all that, that WWE would have their, like, kind of, like, like fans that they can, like, count on, like the employed fanboys, and have screens there while watching some of the stuff and make them sign non-disclosures about not giving the, uh, the 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 results away or something like that, so that you know what I mean. Like I thought you you could have added something, maybe you know. I mean, I mean maybe it was just the best case scenario. You know what I mean. But uh, Otis and Dolph Ziggler, you know, uh, like this was not going to be a WrestleMania classic, but the storyline is what people were into, and I were into, and I felt after Edge and Orton, this was probably you know the best built up storyline on the card. And, you know, and it wasn't in front of a live crowd because of what happened, you know. So to summarize, Otis showed interest um, for Mandy in a, for a while. And even started on social media, essentially, like last year for memes. They had mild interactions time to time where Mandy would be disgusted by his weirdness. And then late last year, early this year, she was more, she was into it more. And then, you know, it culminated with a spot at, you know, Royal Rumble where she fell off the ropes in the rumble and Otis saved her, caught her and actually got a good pop. You know what I mean? That's what I kind of realized. You know, the storyline is actually like resonating with people. You know, he eventually asks her out and then they go out there planning to go out for Valentine's day. He gets a text. She'll be late. Dolph ends up showing up for the date. Otis goes into depression. The heel rubs it in. Mandy still doesn't want to hurt his feelings. And then last SmackDown, there was a hacker character who has been disrupting the broadcast for a while. And while I assumed it was mostly Bray Wyatt, um, but now I'm guessing it's Mustafa Ali because he's done these vignettes. Uh, he's done these vignettes about like wanting to be a better person, but you haven't seen him on t television. I was hoping it was going to go back to our truth to go back to his conspiracy ca character. Anyways, like the character reveals that Sonya planned this and sent the text and deleted them. She shows her setting up uh, with Dolph Ziggler. You know, what I mean, I and I, I like, and I like the way Sonya, I like the way Sonya sold it on social media. Like she was qu qu quote re 
tweeting the fucking thing and going, delete this fucking tweet, man. You know what I mean? I, th- I thought it was hilarious. He goes, Mandy, answer your phone and the rest of you leave me the hell alone and all that type of st- shit. So, you know, I like that the way Sonya, you know, I like the way she did it. So this match was just a typical fucking brawl. Uh, Dolph gave Otis a low blow and I guess referees are not just blind, but they're also fucking deaf. Because you, because you, you didn't see it, but you can tell someone got hit in the dick. Maybe with, like, no crowd wrestlers, when they get hit in the dick, should yell out, Ow, my fucking dick. And then the referees can fucking hear it. And maybe they'll clue in. But then again, you can have someone fake that. I don't know. I'm just saying that, you know, do better. Stop making referees look like idiots. You know, and then Mandy eventually comes out, and then she beats up Sonya. Low blows Dolph. Otis wins. And then they, the, the lovely couple rejoices, and they embrace. And, you know... I'm just thinking this could have rivaled, you know, uh, I, I'm, I'm talking hyperbole here, right? But, I mean, this could have probably gotten a good pop where you could make the argument that this rivaled Macho Man and Elizabeth, even though that was from a more emotional, like, couple of years of buildup, you know what I mean, with that shit. But I'm just saying that this storyline was over and you could have, you know, a lot, and a lot of fans these days like to be performative. So they would have, like, you know, talked in hyperbole and said this was, like, the greatest storyline ever, you know. And then, then there would be an argument about recency bias and all that type of fucking bullshit. You know what I mean? Um, but with the hacker character, I hope they continue with this hacker character. And I hope with, like, the the, the limited uh, TV stuff that they're doing, because, uh, like, maybe they don't have any taped, maybe do a couple, like, a couple, spend time on some of the shows of, like, you know, the of, like, the hacker character, who will probably be Mustafa Ali, um, um, just whistleblowing a bunch of shit, like even not just mid card stuff, like big stuff. If you use this right, you can actually. This is what I've been waiting for. Like I, I my fucked up head, I've compiled conspiracies within the kayfabe world that should be. You know what I mean? So maybe they'll like do something really, really good with this. I, you know what I mean? Like it might just end up like GTV, but this could be a good fucking character for whoever is doing it. I mean, the, the guy's hand was brown when he pressed the button, right? So it's probably Mustafa Ali. Anyways, it, it, it was a fine uh, match for, you know what I mean? It wasn't anything special, you know what I mean? Like that's Dolph Ziggler's only fucking, I think that's his like, only single match on fucking Mania, essentially, you know what I mean? Edge and Orton was next. And you want to talk about a match that got people outraged for various reasons. Listen, I'm, I'm glad Edge is back. He's one of my favorites. Always loved his heel work. He did because I grew up with him in the Attitude Era. I always have a soft spot for, like, you know, the Edge and Christians and Dudleys and Hardys. I think, I think the problem with this match was that it was not going to be as great as they hoped with an empty arena for a, such a comeback like that. And when you do these brawls, they just seem like they go forever. Because, like, there's no, like, crowd hyping it up. And apparently thinking this match was went too long was offensive to people, even. It started out really well with Orton hiding as a cameraman, and he snuck in from behind with an RKO. They brawl to the backstage area, and you know what I mean? They go to, like, the gym part of the thing, and here's where the complaints start. And I bet WWE did this on purpose because even when doing something good, they'll do something to fuck with the internet and their defenders will will say we're being too fucking sensitive and overthinking it. 
even though I saw more people complaining about the complaints than actual people complaining. So Orton ties up uh, Edge in a gym equipment, like like in the, the like the Bullflex, and with the Ben Benoit shit fresh in everyone's mind, and how he went out with like you know the t- tying his neck with the Bullflex. People were going buck about it. Some people were like, it's kind of fucked up. But, and again, maybe because it's fresh in our fucking mind, maybe people wouldn't have thought about it. You know what I mean? I, again, like I said, you know, I saw more people getting mad at, pe- at people for bringing it up, if I'm being honest. And then there was one part where it was clear, it was one part where Edge was doing CrossFit, where he swings off the gym equipment and does like a bonsai drop. Some people said it was, uh, a, 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 a Luthez press, but I mean, it looks like a fucking bonsai drop on Orton sitting on a chair. I wonder how, how many times they had to go through that one. You know what I mean? And by, and by the way, when Orton was tying Edge up and, and, and he was like doing this like in a really like, you know, psychotic way, but like really like quiet and telling him he's the only one that loves him more than his family goes, they will be like, we'll be together forever. It came across creepy. Like it gave me. Heidenreich and Michael Cole flashbacks. And if you don't know the reference, you know, go look it up. I'm not fucking getting into that of, of how I interpreted that, whatever. But it was it was just a basic brawl in different rooms for a bit. You know what I mean? They did some couple of moves where like the DT off like, you know, some one part of like the truck area. Uh, you know, uh, you know, the, the just a, just a bunch of like, kicking him in the dick and all that. You know what I mean? You, I, I'm not good with the play by play, but you know, um, when he did the RKO on the truck, uh, it, it kind of like the the way he kind of landed it. It kind of remi- reminded me of it was a better version, obviously, but it, it kind of reminded me of how he did it to Hogan on the car, kind of not like how he ran in, but it just like it, it just the impact of the RKO essentially. And then, you know, Edge spares him, does, like, the arm, um, head-to-arm choke. He stands there in tears dramatically before he doing the concerto. And then Orton doesn't make it to the 10 count for the last man standing match, you know. And, you know, I just thought, you know, it was – I thought it was a good – I thought it was, like, fine. You know what I mean? I just thought that because it's in an empty arena, maybe call the audible of, uh, you know – Maybe call the audible of not making it that long. Like you could have made it much more brutal. Um, you could have done like you know made it seem much more brutal. I, people said that maybe it would have benefited if uh, you did it the same style as Taker and uh, and Styles. I think after that fucking match, everyone has their expectations. I'm telling you right now, people are gonna like one the expectations, but I guarantee you, when WWE starts giving you this on a constant basis. You're not going to fucking like it. And I'm telling you right now, you better hope that it's just once in a while they do these things. Because I'm telling you right now, the only reason why you like it is because they did, they did it once in a while. Like they, they, they didn't do it as often before. And the other time that they've tried it, it's paled in comparison to the Matt Hardy TNA stuff, right? They tried it with Wyatt's A New Day. They did like a bomb, um, Bray Wyatt and Matt Hardy, which was all right, but it wasn't as hype as, you know, the other ones were. But the taker, you know what I mean? So, um, but, you know, but, you know, I felt bad for Edge. You know what I mean? I felt bad for Edge. It was his first match back, he was like, uh, you know, eager to prove that he could still go, that he's still in shape. And I give him fucking props. You know what I mean? Like, I was so sad when, uh, 
uh, he had to retire like nine years ago. You know what I mean? Because he was one of my fucking favorite wrestlers, uh, favorite heels of of you know you know what I mean the the viciousness that he did, the rated R superstar shit. You know, I just thought it was all amazing. Uh, and then you know, of course, I had to do a twenty four seven title where you know I I, I you know I no social distancing here, basically, you know what I mean? But it was all for Gronk to jump off the bel- the balcony area and land on Mojo, who won the title the night before, and he now Gronk's your 24-7 champion. So talk about giving a push to, you know, his first match, getting a world, getting a title match, you know what I mean? Uh, but whatever. Um, Profits versus Gar- Garza in theory. It was fine. It was fast-paced for what it was. And the, re- the original match didn't have any build. And then they changed the original match that didn't have any build to this random shit. But it was fine. You know what I mean? The, the uh, You know what I mean? The Profits won within like six minutes or so. You know what I mean? They're just like, you know what I mean? I, I'm not good at the play-by-play. You know what I mean? I can tell you what happened afterwards. Uh, you know what I mean? They, they attacked the Profits after the match. Zelina Vega joins in until Bianca Belair shows up to beat her up. And, you know, for those of you that don't know, Bianca and Montez Ford are married. So if she's going to Raw, will she be managing for a bit? And if she does, I hope she's not just stuck in that position for a while where she'll just team up with um, the Prophets to go against uh, Zelina Vega and, you know, uh, and uh, whoever her clients are, you know. I don't. I, I don't think uh, she should be. I'm just worried about that. But you know what I mean. Uh, I mean, if then I, if, if if she is managing, I can see her and Montez doing the heel power couple. Or like I said on Mike Durbin show, you can do the storyline where Dawkins can see it happening, and he strikes first because of the tag team curse of people always breaking up in in WWE. And I, and I think I hope they don't break him up for a while, but you know Montez is going to get getting that praise. And I already see a lot of fans on Twitter, um, um, who, you know, who complain about WWE breaks teams up too much, wanting these guys to break up. I want these guys to have a lengthy fucking legendary run, but the thing is, is like, then people will be like, "Well, it'll be too late for Montez and all that." I mean, you could do the thing where, like, you know, you break them up, but then they re like. I, I find that they do that a lot now, where like the like the instant break because like back then the instant breakup would be the big angle, and they would never ever kind of reunite. They would be feuding for the rest of the time. But as you've seen in like other other years, like the, the these factions and the and these um, uh, tag teams, they break up. And then they get back together again. You know what I mean? I'm surprised like the New Day hasn't broken up like at least two or three times, and they've done a reunion and all that. New Day's actually been around like for over um over five years now, man. Like it's crazy, and they haven't broken up. You know what I mean? They could have had chances to do that, and I'm, and I'm sure when they do, it it will probably be like a very devastating moment. Essentially, you know what I mean? Uh, the Fatal Five Way was next. Bailey versus Sasha versus Naomi versus Tamina versus Lacey Evans, and this match was fine. You know what I mean? But uh, and I'm glad multiple women got got in the card. But even if this was in a live like, uh, even if it's a live live crowd, I think this match was going to happen because they, they just can't just give us a proper Sasha. And- <laughs> 
Jeez, this is becoming a fucking tradition with this fucking uh, with this fucking thing, huh? Like uh, they, uh, I, I, I don't know why. I, I, I didn't cut the fucking thing off. It just cut off, and I, I went on a really good tangent. But now I gotta redo it now. Even all the ad libbing, it's one thing to like read off there, but as, as I was finishing off, um, you know what I mean. Um, let me uh, let me go back up a little bit. Let me let me see if we're still fucking recording. All right, it's still recording. So let me go back up. Hopefully it doesn't, you know. So I was, as I was saying, you know what I mean? Like, like this is probably going to be in front of a live crowd anyways, this match. Um, you know what I mean? Like, are they ever going to give us, you know, Bailey and Sasha? Like, it seems like every few years they hint at it. Like, the, like you know what I mean? You go, okay, well, this will be the year that they actually build up to it more and more. But it never, it never, go, it never happens and all that. You know what I mean? Like it never, it, like it never, it never uh, occurs. Like you know, what I mean, they'll give you hints. Like you know, what I mean, they hinted it in two thousand eighteen, for the most part, and then uh, then two thousand then two thousand nineteen, they became tag champions. You know what I mean? So like like different years, everyone assumed that we were gonna get a Bailey and Sasha thing, but I guess like you know, this year after this one, I think they're actually really hinting at it. But I don't want to speak too soon because. Every time I say, well, okay, now, now they're going to do it. Remember when the, the, the Elimination Chamber thing happened and Sasha showed that she was, uh, um, uh, like, she uh, only cared about herself and, you know, calling her a bad friend and all that. So, you know what I mean? So, like, I just wonder where it's going to go. But, the, like, I mean, the, the women worked. You know, everyone worked hard in this match. I don't, it was fine. It was a, they teased the team bad reunion and I'm not even sure how that how how much of a reaction that would have got you in front of a live crowd. Uh, Tamina gets eliminated after the signature move that they all do on her. Naomi then has control, and then you know, um, the, you know, she has to control of the match after being being isolated with Bailey and Sasha. Lacey's all like on the floor. Sasha eliminates Naomi. Bailey nails Sasha by accident when they're going after Lacey, and then Sasha comes in and they argue. Um, Bailey avoids uh, avoids the women's right, but then Lacey Evan gets banks with it, so she's eliminated. Um, Bailey could have broken up the pin, but she didn't break up the fucking pin, and you know what I mean. And then I, I don't know if Sasha was aware of that. Um, uh, then then Bailey and Lacey go at it, and then Sasha Banks comes back to the ring, and I thought, okay, maybe she's gonna cost her the match. No, she helped Bailey retain. And then, you know, after the match, she was, like, you know, like, looking at the belt. And, you know what I mean? And she was, like, you know, like, being kind of dramatic about holding her hand up, whatever. So, you know what I mean? Like, it's, like you know what I mean? So, you think, okay, Sasha Banks is a good friend, whatever. So, I guess they're teasing this. And maybe they'll actually feud. So, I wonder what who goes babyface for this. Like, is it Sasha who goes babyface? Or is it Bailey who goes back to being babyface? And maybe the transformation was only done because Banks had gotten into her head and kind of convinced her. And, you know what I mean? It has used her as, like, you know, like, you know, like, you know, used her for her own bidding in a way, kind of, you know what I mean? Because she always wanted the belt. I mean, I, I think like if they do, if they do take a, a hiatus off for a bit, like if they, they, they do, do take a hiatus, I hope that uh, if they filmed it already, hopefully Sasha, like, you know, uh, uh, 
turns on her, and then ba- and then later on Bailey can like so with the time off she can grow her hair back, and then go back to the old Bailey but be more aggressive and not like you know what I mean so and she'll embrace the fans again. I I don't know how long this how this long thing will go on anyways. But um, you know what I mean. So that was that match. You know what I mean. I I mean, listen. I wanted Sasha versus Bailey, but maybe this is like the best thing we should have gotten because, I mean, Bailey. I I I think you would have been more pissed off if you had Bailey and Sasha, and then you didn't, uh, and then you didn't have a crowd for it. You know what I mean. So maybe they're actually waiting for a crowd. Now uh, with this uh, Cena thing, I'm gonna go and read four one one Mania's recap of it. I want to like you know what I mean hit hit the because like this is easier for me to gravitate towards because it's not like technical moves being done. This is like uh, a Twin Peaks episode essentially what you're watching. You know what I mean? It was a fucking horror movie. It was like a, a mind fuck. It, it wasn't even a wrestling match. I don't think any wrestling fan can ever fucking explain what they just saw. But it it I you thing is you you can't fall between um in between. You either fucking love this. Or you fucking hated it. And I'm telling you, there's a lot of people that hated it. But there's a lot of people that fucking love this. Okay, so let me shut this thing off. So Cena arrives. And you know what I mean? He's coming out of his entrance. So I'm like, already I'm like, okay, they're going to do this match. So it's going to be a match. Because Cena's coming out for an entrance. The the Bray Wyatt stuff interferes. But it shows, it flashes back to, uh, like, you know, Vince McMahon saying, Welcome to WrestleMania. And me and Gene Okerlund talking his shit, whatever, and all that. And then Bray Wyatt shows up. He appears in the funhouse. He welcomes Cena to the funhouse. And then Cena magically appears in the funhouse. Rambling Rabbit greets him and tells him to follow Bray. Cena Cena enters a wacky land of puppet... uh, Enters wacky land like he left the fucking, you know, the funhouse area. And he, uh, he sees puppet Vince there. We get Bray doing the original angle challenge. Like, they would flash between, like, the real footage of it. And then I have Bray, like, kind of reenacting Kurt Angle's part, kind of. You know what I mean? Um, so, you know what I mean? So, you do you got the angle challenge. Cena arrives in his boots and tights. The same one that he wore um, in uh, uh, the same one that he wore uh, uh, in the debut. Um, Bray mocks him for almost being fired. He, avoid, uh, he avoids strikes and sings Nikki Bella's theme. The buzzard and the Vince puppet. Um, by the way, the buzzard, um, whose name is uh, Mercy, uh, the M- Mercy. His name is Macho Mercy. You know, and they're doing commentary with the, the puppet Vince. Um, Bray does a Hogan Saturday. They flash a Saturday night's main event. Bray doing uh, a Hogan promo. And Cena arrives, like, lifting. It's like one of those pretentious 80 promos where the good guys are all, like, being over the top and, like, they're excited about this match and, like, they're working out and shit. So Cena's arrived. He lifts weights to, like, to 80s montage music. His arms start working, and Cena, and then Bray Wyatt throws him to the side. Cena turns into th- Thugonomic Cena. And you know he's only, and then you know he's talking to Bray Wyatt, and he's like, "Oh, I can only talk in rhyme." So he does, he does a rap, and each line that he's delivering is not getting any reaction, like from like the puppets. And it's kind of like, "Oh, your jokes are kind of lame when there's no one there to buy into it." And he, he, he talks about Bray being a little joke, making fun of Husky Harris, Husky Harris, calling him a disappointment and a slut for opportunity, blowing every chance. Bray does like an after-school special monologue, calling Cena a bully and a horrible person. Um, you know what I mean? And then 
And then, you know, and then Bray's back to the Wyatt family, Bray, and they're flashing back between uh, the WrestleMania 30, where he's begging him to hit him with the fucking chair and all that type of stuff. Cena hits him with the chair, and he, and he, he disappears. And then, uh, you know, and then, and then, and then you know, he, tell, he tells Cena to fix the, like, fix the what he should have fixed a long time ago. And then all of a sudden, for the last part, Bray turns into Eric Bischoff in WCW, introducing Cena as Hollywood Hogan, as Puppet Vince says, this is good shit. And by the way, if you ever wanted to believe that, like, all that good shit stuff wasn't meant to eventually become, like, something that, that, that the it would become on programming, I knew instantly when Dean Amber, when, uh, sorry, John Moxley said that in the interview last year about good shit, I knew that was going to become, like, a thing. You know what I mean? It was, like, it was, like, planned out that way. So that was, like, the recap of it. You know what I mean? You, you know, um... Cena had a flashback. He beats up Husky hair, the Huskins, a puppet, and then the Fiend arrives, Mando Claw, Sister Abigail. You know what I mean? And, and Bray counts the pin. So it was like a match in John Cena's psyche. Now, like, now, now these are my fucking thoughts about it because you know, um, uh, you know, because I have like my own fucking way of interpreting. And I, I went on post wrestling, and I went on Sunday night's main event to like talk about this as well. Um, like, you know, you, you know how with the main event of night one, I, I said you can justify in kayfabe how this worked. Well, with this match, I have no idea unless you're going to expose that WWE and the elite in the dark world have advanced technology so you can, you know, uh, have advanced technology to air out someone's fucking, you know, um, spiritual trip or something like that. And as a conspiracy guy, people just think that this is Bray's ideas. And not that I'm denying it, but this character was meant to be a character that kind of puts the symbolism that is needed to put out in the television shows while exposing shit in some kind of way. You know what I mean? Um, this match essentially taking place in Cena's mind being displayed. It's always funny because the superstitious, the superstitious shit, a guy, I, I, I can't pronounce shit. So I'm gonna try it again superstitious shit like this is probably a lot more true than than uh, than than what is presented in real life essentially like what happened when you you know and and then this and, and it's, it's true like it's a lot more true of what happens when you're doing occultism like a shaman spiritual shaman spiritual journey or someone tripping on ayahuasca and and what i think this symbolizes is that the comparisons to hogan and cena and I think some fans who saw the insider references, but the most was that the NWO part is because we all want Cena to turn heel. And I explained a bit of this, so, you know, on post-wrestling and Sunday night's main event, that I wish they incorporated some of the Dungeon of Doom footage because in 95, Hogan was involved in this kind of thing where he went to the Dungeon of Doom spiritual place. Like, you remember that, right? You remember when... Uh, like Hogan going down there and touching the surface and goes, it's not hot. I've never been here before. You know what I mean? Like, 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 okay, well, well we can assume that you've never been there before. You know what I mean? Like, it's not every day you go into that kind of fucking place, but whatever. You know what I mean? Um, and, it, and by the way, that was also symbolism of Hogan talking to the devil. So when Hogan did this, they were talking about Hogan becoming part of the dark side in 95. Even before NWO, he was teasing wearing black and white, and then he kind of went back to regular Hogan, and he and and it, I feel like that was always a prelude 
to Hogan finally showing who he was, even though for a decade, Bobby Bobby Heenan and you know Jesse Ventura, um, Bobby Heenan and Jesse Ventura were calling him out, and it feels like the same way with Cena. It feels like the same way with Cena that he would always bury people who felt were a threat in his promo, so fans didn't take them seriously. He was being a dick, and I, I've compiled like a list in my head of different incidences where Cena, the character, was has done something shady, where he's been a dick. That, that's why you always needed a commentator for Cena, like Heenan or Ventura, or maybe that symbolized that WWE is not freedom of speech like it was in the '80s. So they had commentary, commentary, <laughs> commentators being the puppets that would give Cena praise to the company man, like all the time. So maybe this Twin Peak shit will leave Cena, the Boy Scout, um, uh, the C Cena's Boy Scout persona in the Black Lodge, while the the, the evil Cena will flee the Earth. You know, it, you know that thing that ha like the thing that you know I compare it to like what Bi what Bill Hicks and Alex Jones are like. You know, Bill Bill Hicks is on uh, Bill Hicks is uh, you know. Uh, uh, in the in the Black Lodge, while Alex Jones uh, took over his shit, whatever, you know what I mean. So like, like to me, like like this was this was perfect. I, I you know what I mean. I, I don't know how you're gonna explain it, but if the next time you see Cena, he should definitely be shaken up. I don't know if you ever see him for a bit. Maybe when maybe he takes a time off, and when then he does come back, he does what Hogan does, and he becomes a fucking heel essentially. I I always I always like deep down I always wanted to be a wrestling character just solely so I could be the one to be the Bobby Heenan in Bash of the Beach '96 when he questioned whose side is Hogan on, and everyone thought that you know Bobby Heenan gave away the results, but no that was Bobby Heenan, um you know not like, that was Bobby Heenan acting like he normally would have he never trusted Hogan. And you know what I mean? And that right there proved that Bobby Heenan was right all along, that Hogan was scum. And you know what I mean? So that's why now I guess Bray Wyatt is that guy that is basically turning, uh, he's bringing out the evil side of, of uh, John Cena. You know what I mean? Like, I have no idea how you're going to explain this, but I mean, a lot of people love this. You know what I mean? Uh, I, don't, I don't, again, I don't hope they don't go to this well too much, but it would be cool for different wrestlers to like go there and you know you know Roman Reigns would be perfect for this match. This would be perfect for Roman Reigns. This this would actually bring context to all the stuff that I think that they've been like people think that WWE, in my personal opinion, has always been trying to get Roman Roman Reigns over as a face, even though that's the official narrative and like that's like oh rumor has it that Vince McMahon does this and they'll probably be proven right in that regard, but. Anything that WWE tells you that they want to do, they know that fans are going to reject it. And when someone like CM Punk is like t t I'm putting out, oh, make Roman look strong, I'm telling you right now, like that, like like the Roman, in my personal opinion, again and again, people will say, well, WWE doesn't think this far advanced. They're a lot smarter than they, you know what I mean? Like, they're an evil company, but they're a lot smarter. I think sometimes people took, take evil and incompetence, and they fucking uh, can't believe that WWE can do something like this. 
Like the f- people don't believe that WWE even produced any of this. You know what I mean? I bet you, you you'll hear stories that Vince McMahon had nothing to do with this, and this was all like um, you know somebody else or something like that. Because they never want to tell you that Vince McMahon they can actually come up with some fucking shit, and and Vince McMahon's actually creative as much as as much as he's evil and all that. But you know, I I thought it was, I thought it was a cool uh, a, a cool fucking spectacle. I wouldn't have minded if they end with, ended it with this, but they had to end with Drew McIntyre and uh, Brock Lesnar, which I, you know, I'll get to. But I mean, how do you end with that? I mean, you know, of course, after the match is done, uh, Titus O'Neil, who took over Gronk's spot, he has to be like the, you know, the the, the you know, like the punchline kind of like, I have no idea what I just saw, like you know what I mean. So it was, he, he was supposed to represent all of us, you know what I mean? But like that was fucking crazy. You know what I mean? Someone suge- I think it was Danny Cage that uh, on Twitter suggested uh, that like y- you should have seen Cena starting uh, Cena sitting in the, uh, in the in the in the background when Tyler Cena comes back and goes, "Okay, we'll get the match started right now." And then Cena just collapses, and then uh, he's taken off in a stretcher. I wouldn't have minded that. I mean, if you're gonna say that's that, I mean, you can't tell me that that, that oh, that's not realistic. I mean, look at what you, look at what we just fucking saw, basically. You know what I mean, um, and then uh, we and then we we closed out. I mean, poor Drew, man. Uh, we closed out with uh, Brock and Drew was a better version of Strowman versus Goldberg, but the same video game shit where they just hit finishers. And this is probably the best you could have done with no crowd with this match. I felt so bad for Drew for this moment because they made him look good by kicking out of the F5 several times, one time at one, the next time at two, and then two again. He does a Claymore kick, and he just wins it. And then they should have at least, you know, I, you know what I mean? Like, I, I'm not saying that you you couldn't, I, you obviously couldn't do a big celebration, right? I thought they should have called an audible and go, you know what, just make it seem like it's somewhat special. Have 3MB go up there. And just have like a reunion, kind of like, oh, yo, congratulations. At least, like, that would have been something because they weren't going to give him fireworks. You know what I mean? You know, and I, I, and again, I heard the rumor that, you know, Jinder Mahal might be Drew McIntyre's next, like, opponent, basically. And, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm, I'm putting that out there as much as possible. So maybe it doesn't happen, but I anticipate it will happen. We will get another Jinder Mahal feud. And again, since fans, since like the hardcore fans hate it, like the Jinder Mahal push, this is gonna be what destroys uh, Drew McIntyre. Like it's gonna be like, well, they really messed up Drew McIntyre's run when uh, Mania was with no crowd, and then they had a few with Jinder Mahal. Because remember when WWE, because WWE is dwindling, in my personal opinion, whatever good that they do. It'll always follow up with something bad that fans are going to complain about, and then it'll go in circles like that until you know whatever. Um, but yeah, that was WrestleMania, man. I, I I enjoyed it. I thought night one was better. Um, I thought it went smoother. Uh, but I mean, I, I, th- there was there was a lot more fan. I thought there was a lot more fan service for night two, but it would it didn't. Go, I, I don't think some of the matches hit as smoothly. You know what I mean? Like, you know what I mean? I think I really, I really do. Listen, man, I don't want to put down the Edge and Orton thing. But, uh, you know what I mean? Like, you know, because they, they worked fucking hard as hell, man. And I don't want to put that shit down. But, but, like, the thing is, like, I just thought they should have called an audible and made it a little bit shorter. Like, it was, like, so, like, so grueling. It was so intense and grueling that it had no choice but to end within, like, 20 minutes or so. You know what I mean? Like, they didn't have to do 
37 fucking minutes of it. You know what I mean? Especially when, like, you know what I mean? Like, or at least you should have done the fucking you added music to the background or something like that. You know what I mean? Like, but I, I, I really feel bad for a lot of guys. Mandy and Otis, Drew, uh, Edge, who should have had like like the top of like the top of the mountain fucking cheers and celebration and all that type of stuff. It should have been that, but you know, unfortunately we're in a pandemic. So they couldn't have done that, but it fucking it fucking sucks, man. You know what I mean? Um, you know, but I, I mean that's just the way it fucking is, essentially. But I mean, people. But, but I, I don't think the match was horrible. You know what I mean? Maybe it went on too long. Maybe something was drawn out. I think with like no crowd, it really made it seem like that. But the Bray Wyatt shit, you know what I mean? Uh, and uh, the Bray Wyatt shit and the John Cena shit was probably the highlight for me. Uh, it, it just just because it was just really fucked up, like. Like, I guess this is how Bray Wyatt should be wrestling from now on. No one wants to see him wrestle a regular match ever again. And I'm telling you, man, be careful what you wish for. I mean, we're going to be clamoring for this. But when they overdo it, man, everyone – because, like, there's already enough people that are already, like, they hate this because of what it brings and all that. But I just think that if you do it once in a while, it'll, it'll work out well. You know what I mean? But, yeah, that was WrestleMania. So I'm going to end it right here. I don't know how this will come out. Um, but yeah, man, uh, I'll, I'll close out with, uh, some Dungeon of Doom stuff. If you're, if you're listening on Anchor, I guess, I, I mean, I don't know if it'll go on, uh, uh, Spotify or not, but yeah, I'll close out with, uh, reminiscing about 1995 with, uh, Hogan and the Dungeon of Doom and shit like that. Anyways, take it easy, guys.